0: We're turning for the last time tonight uh, to look at uh, the series we've done in John chapter 1. The Apostle in lockdown on the Isle of Patmos given a vision of Jesus Christ and that vision completely humbling him and lifting him up. And what we looked at last time was the corporate nature of that vision. It wasn't just Jesus Christ uh, giving a vision of himself to an apostle. But it was Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Jesus Christ in the midst of his church. Uh, and John had a vision of that. And I find that very significant in our situation because here was John physically isolated from the rest of his church at Ephesus and yet spiritually He is still bound to them. So we just want to look at two other things uh, this evening uh, to finish uh, the corporate nature of this vision. And then, God willing, uh, by the time I'm back from my holidays in August, uh, we should be back in the building, even though it won't be quite normality, and we can then resume our series in the book of Jonah. So. The last time we looked at the lampstands, the seven golden lampstands, and I just want to read uh, the relevant verses, because there are two other things mentioned as well as the lampstands. The lampstand, of course, is symbolic of the church, the light of the world, and it's only as we. Shine for Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world. It's not our own lights uh, we shine, but the reflection of the light of Jesus Christ. And the church consists of individual believers, and the more Christ like we are, then the more we will shine for Him. And of course, as I said this morning, our raison d'etre is to hold forth that light of the gospel, the preaching of The word, but there are two other things mentioned at the same time. So, if you've got your Bibles, look at verse 13. Verse 13, and in the midst, uh, so the beginning, uh, the end of verse 12, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And then verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. And then verses 19 and 20, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Seven, of course, is a perfect number. So the seven churches here are not just the seven churches, such as Ephesus in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, that Jesus was addressing, but they are standing for the church of Jesus Christ in all places at all times. So we've looked at the first symbol of Christ in the midst of his church, which is the lampstands, but there are two other things which we're going to look at this evening. And the first, the stars, the seven stars that the Lord Jesus is holding in his right hand. And again, this is symbolic language. So what are these stars? Well, thankfully, we have been told quite plainly and clearly in verse 20, that the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, are the angels of the seven churches. Now that might just confuse us even more. Uh, How can a church have an angel? Do you believe in such a thing as guardian angels for the churches of Jesus Christ. Well, in the vision of Daniel, uh, which is foundational uh, to this vision of John here in Revelation, there is mention of the angel Michael there, who is your prince in the spiritual battle. And if you think of the churches that John uh, was uh, burdened for, And the churches throughout the ages, we are all involved in a spiritual battle. And I do believe uh, that there is such a thing as the ministry of angels in that battle. I think it was the Reverend Arthur Neal who said to our previous pastor, the Reverend Vernon Hyam, during a very difficult time in the history of our church many years ago, Uh, that the pulpit of Heath Church is guarded by uh, angels. And I believe that. And I do believe that God, uh, in his providence, uses angels as ministering spirits uh, to those uh, who are believers. But the problem here is this. The seven angels are being addressed in chapters 2 and 3 where Christ, through John, is writing uh, to each of the seven churches. And the difficulty we've got is this. Christ was writing to the angel of each church so that the angel then would communicate to the rest of the members. Now, can you see the problem? If angel here means an angelic being, how is it possible for an angel to communicate uh, in that way to the church? Now, of course, God has used angels to bring his word, the most famous being the angel Gabriel uh, coming to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. But it just doesn't fit the context. If The angels here, the seven angels, are standing for the angelic beings. There is another meaning in the Bible for the word angel, and it means messenger, messenger. And so in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, for example, uh, the same word for angel is used for John the Baptist as God's servant, messenger. And I believe that this is what we have here. Jesus Christ is addressing the messenger of each church so that the messenger can then communicate uh, what the Savior has to say. So the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and chapter 2 verse 1 to the angel of the church at ephesus verse 8 of chapter 2 to the angel of the church in smyrna etc he's referring to the messenger of the church now does it become clearer now for you who is the messenger in the church who is the messenger in our church if you're listening Further afield, who is the messenger in your church? Well, it's the pastor, the minister. Uh, Maybe a a minister is a better term here than pastor, uh, because the meaning of the word minister is to serve. And a pastor is a minister of the word of God. Hence, he's a messenger. Now, there is great confusion today as to what a pastor is and as to what a pastor does. And the term angel here to describe the pastor of a church as a messenger, the one who brings God's word, I think, uh, highlights uh, what the ministry should be all about Uh, you will have all sorts of different ideas in evangelicalism now uh, about what the role of the pastor is. Is he uh, like a CEO managing a company? Uh, Is he a teacher uh, just giving lectures? Uh, Is he a counselor uh, just giving advice? Uh, Or is he just everybody's friend? That's what some people think of the pastor as. And of course, He can't fulfill all those roles. And some people expect him to fulfill those roles at the same time. And that is just impossible. Uh, Somebody sent me a few months ago um, a little article that was a satirical piece uh, describing the perfect pastor. I hope you don't mind if I read this out. This is the perfect pastor. One, he preaches for 20 minutes and his sermons are full of theological meat and simple. Two, he condemns sin and never steps on anybody's toes. Three, he works from eight in the morning to ten at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to cleaning the church. Four, he earns £400 a week, gives £100 a week to the church, drives the latest model car, uh, has lots of books, designer suits, and has a nice family. Five, he is 36 years old and has been preaching for over 40 years. Six, he is tall, on the short side, heavy set, in a thin sort of way, and handsome. Seven, he has a burning desire to work with the young people and spends all his time with the older folk. Eight, he smiles all the time while keeping a straight face, and he a, has a keen sense of humour that finds him seriously dedicated. Nine, he makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing, and is always in his study. And this little article ends, unfortunately, he burnt himself out at the age of 32. (laughs) That just shows how ridiculous many of the current views are uh, regarding the role of the pastor. The pastor is the angel, the messenger. Of God in the church to put it in a different way he's the ambassador so the message doesn't originate with him he's there to give the king's message that's the Lord and he's there to deliver it faithfully and when I say sometimes at the start of my sermon the message that the Lord has given me I don't mean uh, that I'm being prophetic as the Old Testament prophets but Any pastor uh, has spent time in his study seeking God for the messages that the Lord is directing him to in his word. And he's seeking God's help to deliver those messages. So a pastor isn't a lecturer. Uh, A pastor is one who brings a word from God by opening the word of God in the power of the spirits. Martin Luther put it very well. Uh, He, in the Protestant Reformation, rediscovered the priesthood of every believer. Do you realise that, as we looked a few weeks ago? You are all priests, but a pastor has been set apart uh, not to a higher uh, level, but to be the one who is responsible to minister the Word and the sacraments. And that doesn't just refer to preaching, even in visiting, he's there to minister the word. I think that's really helpful, just to have that focus, that job description, if you like. This is what a pastor is about. Um, If you think of Peter, he was a fisher of fish, uh, but Christ turned him into a fisher of men. And how did he do that? If you read the book of Acts, he did it by preaching. The gospel. He didn't have a fishing club in order to connect with unbelievers. He now was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is my privilege and other pastors' privileges as well to be messengers from the court of heaven. As a result of that, we have this description of uh, the pastor. He's held in. Jesus's right hand, the stars, I think it's verse 16, are held in his right hand. The right hand is the important hand in uh, the Bible, and it shows uh, the importance of the office of the pastor. So it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter how young they may be. It doesn't matter how shy their personality may be. Think of Timothy. Uh, They have an office uh, position which gives them a responsibility and a privilege that exceeds any earthly position. I believe a pastor has more authority in that sense than a king or a president or a prime minister because he's the messenger of the one who is over all the kings and the rulers of the earth. So even young, uh, shy Timothy uh, was told by the great Apostle Paul, let no one despise you, you, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Isn't that a challenge to those of us who are pastors? We, We are to lead by example. Robert Murray McShane, who didn't make it to 30, uh, one of the godliest uh, preachers uh, who ever lived, Uh, this is what was said of him. I think it was Andrew Bonar, his friend, who wrote these words. All who knew him not only saw in him a burning and a shining light, but felt also the hidden life of Christ. They felt that sense of Christ when he walked into the room or when he stepped into the pulpits. That's something for us as pastors to aspire to, to be Christ-like. And then for you uh, who are listening, for those who are members, there's a challenge here as well, I think. Whoever you a pastor may be, he's God's servant. Uh, This is what Richard Brooks said. And Richard Brooks, I know his name sounds like a Puritan, but he's still alive, and he's written excellent commentaries. This is how he put it. Do you love, pray for, and generously provide for your pastor as you should? Are you, in your love and devotion to Christ, showing that in the way you treat his servants? So that's the first thing we... uh, have looked at. The stars, they're not angels in the normal sense of the word, even though God does have uh, angels guarding his people and his church. It's the minister of the word, the messenger. And then the most important thing here, did you miss it? Because it's so obvious that it's possible to ignore it. It's not the lampstands. The church is not the most important thing. It's not the pastor, uh, whoever the preacher may be. He may be a powerful preacher, a godly man, but that's not the most important thing. Yeah. What's the highlights here? Let, let me read again. Verse 12 I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven stands One. Like the Son of Man. Walking amongst the churches. And even the pastors, they are only standing because he is holding onto them. My friends, it's the Lord of the church. That's the most important thing here. Christ in the midst of his church. What does that mean? Well, let me give you a few reasons what this means practically. Firstly, Jesus Christ is the one who rules in the church. No pastor, no elder can lord it over the people. There is only one person we call lord and that is Jesus Christ. There is only one person that we call Father, and that is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also our Father. So even the greatest of pastors, we only follow their example as far as they follow Jesus Christ. So to give uh, the most famous example, the great Apostle Paul, Uh, He said, writing to the Corinthians, imitate me just as I, or as long as I am imitating Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, the first verse. Now, this is how Jesus Christ rules in his church. This is why the leaders of the church are the messengers, the pastor. He rules by his word. There is no other rule but what is written. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, how did he counter the attacks of the evil one? He said, it is written. That's the authority that Jesus had when he was here on earth. And this is our only authority. This is what Martin Luther rediscovered uh, that caused the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, the scripture alone is our authority. Uh, During the Reformation in England, uh, the Protestant Reformation in England, uh, people were uh, martyred uh, for their faith. And during the reign of Queen Mary, Bloody Mary as she was called, uh, she uh, sent to the stake to be burnt alive. So many Christians. And one person who was killed was Lady Jane Grey. You may have heard of her. I think Faith Cook has got a biography of her. And uh, she was pressurized to change her mind. Here she is, about to be burnt, and they tell her uh, to uh, uh, deny her faith. And this is what she said. No, I ground my faith upon God's word and not upon the church. For if the church be a good church, The faith of the church, what the church believes, must be tried by God's word and not God's word by the church. Think of the Apostle John. Why is he on Patmos? Why is he isolated from his beloved flock? Why is he enduring hardship? Well, it's simple. It's because he would rather obey God than men. And earlier on in the history of the church, when uh, some of the leaders were arrested by the religious authorities, uh, they were told in Acts 4 uh, that they could uh, 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 go free as long as they didn't preach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. And what was their answer? Uh, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God. You judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The rule of the word of God is how Christ rules in his church. Christ is in the midst of the people as long as the word is central. Once the word is set aside, the Lord Jesus starts withdrawing. Uh, there is um, a series of Welsh novels uh, written by Daniel Owen, the Charles Dickens of Wales, uh, in the 19th century. And uh, in one of those novels, uh, Rhys Lewis, he describes vividly the change that was happening in uh, nonconformity in Wales. And he puts it like this. Uh, the people used to walk to church with a Bible in their hands. But now they're going to church, carrying a hymn book. People used to go to church to worship and to hear the word preached. Now they're going to church for the command bagani and for the singing. It's very subtle. But once the word is no longer central, the church has lost its authority. So can I bring this point home by asking you, Are you being molded by the rule of Christ in his word? There's no such thing as standing still in the Christian life. Um, Somebody used this illustration. Um, It's a bit old-fashioned, but it does make the point. Uh, If you don't pedal when you're riding a bike, if you stop pedaling, eventually you will fall off the bike. There is no such thing as standing still. Either we are being molded into the image of Christ or we're being molded uh, into the image of the world. Whether that's a secular or religious world, it doesn't matter. It's the word that's got to shape you and me. Malcolm Jones was a pastor in Maesa for 42 years. When he first went to that chapel, it was the most liberal, anti-gospel chapel in the whole of the valley. How did it change? Not through force, not through politics. All the Reverend Malcolm Jones had was the pulpit and the Bible. And by preaching the word of God, people were saved and people were transformed. The word, it's powerful. May we be people of the book. And then uh, there is something else. Christ directs his church through the word by his spirits. It's the spirits who saves When you were saved, you might have heard a sermon. You would have heard sermons before, and they had no effect. And then you heard a sermon. Maybe it wasn't as good as those other sermons, but you heard. You didn't hear before, but now you listened with the ear of faith. Why? The Spirit was working in you. And it's the Spirit, as the Word speaks to us and as we put it into practice, that changes us and makes us more Christ-like. Jesus Christ is walking around his churches. That's the image we've got here. Uh, He uh, is looking to see uh, if there's fruits. He's looking to see if the light is shining as it should. Uh, He trims the lamps uh, to make sure uh, that They shine properly. That means he chastens. Uh, He uh, is a gardener. Uh, He cuts branches off the vine, to use another metaphor, that is not bearing fruit. That's a painful process. Have you found these last few months of lockdown to be a form of chastening? I believe the Lord is purifying his church in uh, not allowing us to meet because it's giving us a greater focus on what's really important. Maybe before lockdown, we were too immersed in all sorts of other things. But now we are coming back to the basic things and we are, as it were, being drawn closer to the Lord. My relationship with the Lord in his word, in prayer. He speaks to me in scripture. I speak to him in prayer. That's what the church is all about. The preaching of the word, uh, the meeting for prayer, uh, I found that having a prayer meeting uh, electronically makes me long to be back uh, physically uh, in prayer. And, you know, he's purifying his church uh, in these difficult circumstances. And even, even the ministers are under his control. We don't hear much today, do we, about a man being called to the ministry. Our forefathers would have made a big thing of a call, the Spirit uh, giving a person a desire that could not be resisted, that they had to preach the word of God. And even the spirits calling a minister to a specific church uh, you hear horror stories these days of churches looking for new pastors, and all you hear about is what kind of pastor they want? He should be this, he should be that, but they 're not asking what kind of man is the Lord wanting us to have we 've lost our focus, the Lord in the midst of his church, ruling not just through his word but by his spirits, speaking. In the Word. When did the Lord last speak to you in the Word? By the Spirit. When did He last impress something upon your hearts? Maybe a verse, a token to keep you going. The Lord ruling His church. And then Lastly, the Lord comforting his church. It's not just the ministers who are in his right hand. Every single one of us is held firm in the hand of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is what one commentator said. Think what this vision would have meant to the persecuted churches to whom John was writing. Think of the comfort of knowing that they were held in his right hand, but then think what it means to us now. He holds us in his right hand, the best and safest place we could possibly be. If we perish, let us perish here. If we go down, may we go down with Jesus. That, that, that's what uh, John is saying here. Uh, there's a hymn uh, which we often sing, and it's got this stanza. Fear not, I am with thee, wherever you may be, however your situation may be, however hemmed in you may feel. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh be not dismayed, I, I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, and after that to still stand. Why? Not because of some inherent strength in us. Upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got our church in his hand. He's got you in his hand. He thinks on me. Don't you love him? That is why we're still here. Because he is upholding us. There is a Welsh song. Uh, sung by David Iwan. In heat, we are still here. Ergweitha Pauba Popeth, in spite of everybody and everything. In heat, we're still here. We're still standing. And we will stand if we are trusting in Him. As I come to a conclusion, what matters in the end is this that we have Christ with us. It doesn't matter how small our congregation may be. It doesn't matter how elderly our congregation may be. It doesn't matter how poor our congregation may be. It doesn't matter how lacking in resources we may be, it doesn't matter if we have got a building or haven't got a building, it doesn't matter if we're in lockdown or if we're out of lockdown, it doesn't matter if we know the right people. There's only one person we need to know. That is Jesus Christ. One minister said to me once, I don't want to attract anybody to the church. Hang on, I haven't finished yet. (laughs) We want to have people come. But he said, I don't want to attract anybody to the church, but one, Jesus Christ. If he turns in, if he visits by spirits, then we have everything. The frightening thing here is that when we no longer are faithful to him, when we no longer put this first, the word of God, when we no longer have reality, Holy Spirit's religion. Then what happens, and it can happen so gradually that we don't recognize, he withdraws himself. And eventually, he removes the lampstand. John's church was in Ephesus. Asia Minor was once thriving spiritually in the first century. There were countless number of churches there, and they were vital After a few centuries, there were no churches there. Today, it's a spiritual wilderness. North Africa, I've mentioned Augustine of Hippo many a time. A few centuries later, he was in uh, North Africa. And the church was thriving there at one time. But now, for many, many, many centuries, a spiritual wilderness. But I've heard reports now of God moving by his spirit in some parts of North Africa. West Wales, where Wynne and Angela minister to the farms. In the 18th century, Daniel Rowland I mentioned this morning, the 19th century. there, 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 There were revival after revivals in that part of Wales. Now, it's as if God is judging. Because those same churches... Generations after, did not put the word of God first. They no longer believed the gospel. And that didn't happen overnight. It just happens gradually. We just drift. It's like the illustration of killing a frog. How do you kill a frog? Not that I recommend you do it. <laughs> If you put a frog in a bowl of boiling water, it'll jump out straight away. It'll realize the danger. If you put a frog in cold water and bring it gradually to the boil, it won't notice and it will eventually die. But God is with us. If we still hold on to him, even if our faith is feeble, If we are still seeking his face, even if our desires are up and down, if we are still seeking to live for him in a world which is going very far from him, even when we feel the pressure to conform to the world, then we are a remnant and he's still with us. I'll come to a conclusion now. When I was in London, I was in Bible College there many years ago. And a minister there, Peter Golding, was a great help and encourager to me. And he died this May. And in his obituary, uh, there is a quote from a letter Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote to him when he was starting in the ministry, when Peter Golding was starting in the ministry back in 1966. And it wasn't an easy time for him. And this is what the doctor said. May God continue to bless you and to manifest himself to you. Do not be discouraged. Better times are coming. Let us stand together and work and pray until the glorious morning dawns. I believe, brothers and sisters, that better times are coming. I believe that even during these dark months of lockdown. The Lord has been purifying his people. We are facing uncertain times, yes, but that uncertainty, if it's driving us to the Lord, to trust in him more and more, then who knows whether we are going to see his right hand being manifest again and God working mightily in our midst. It's often when we think we have everything, that's when we begin to lose our focus spiritually. When we realize we've got nothing apart from Jesus Christ and we are forced, as it were, to lay hold of him, then great things can happen. I know it's a bit American, this, uh, in terms of the situation, but this is how one commentator puts it. The spiritual power of a church does not rest in its finances, dynamic personalities, entertaining worship services, or clever marketing techniques, but rather in the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit of Christ. I was converted in Christian Union in Aberystwyth with the Welsh CU, and the year I was converted, we were just a handful of people, but we just relied on the Lord, and it was wonderful uh, what he could do with just a handful of people. Well, John was in exile, but his best days were ahead. He was soon to be with the Lord, which is far better. And whatever's going to happen to us, even if it gets worse, our best days are ahead. Because we are going home. We are going to our heavenly Canaan. God is already taking uh, servants, ministers, believers who have been shining lights for him. Packer uh, died last week. Uh, How many of us have been helped by knowing God? And there's a new generation. And we may fear for the future. But God hasn't changed. It is the same Jesus Christ that these people had, that the reformers had, that John the Apostle was given a vision of. It's the same Jesus Christ who can draw near to you, to me, to our churches. And as long as we remain faithful to him, We will stand. Are you going to stand? He that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. But when I am weak, then am I strong. In your sense of insufficiency, look to Jesus Christ and be strong in him and in the power of his might. Amen. Now we're going to sing together Luther's grand hymn, uh, safe stronghold. Our God is still a trusty shield and weapon.
1: The cook. to this world
0: Father in heaven, we thank thee that we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that even though these things shall vanish all, uh, the city of God remaineth. And we thank thee uh, that thy word shall uh, never be broken and that we are strong in thee and that uh, we will stand uh, if uh, we continue uh, in uh, trusting thee. So, Uh, Now bless us uh, as we depart. Uh, Let us pray the grace together, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.